0: That was so good. You guys can be seated. Um, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh Wassenaar, and I am the director of the college ministry here at Blueprint Church called The Salt Company. Um, I am super honored to be here today, especially on 4th of July weekend, that's kind of fun. Um, I expected everyone to be out of town, so this is great, Uh, you know, genuine. I was like, there could be 12 people here today, so um, not bad, not bad, good show. Today, we're gonna be starting in Genesis 1. I know the text has already been read, but if you want to open up your Bible or grab one that's in the seat in front of you or just checking your phone, you can head there now. We'll be starting in verse 26. Um, But as you're turning there, um, I just wanna ask you guys a question. Do you guys like origin stories of movies? I feel like I'm a sucker for them. Like, I will watch any story that is an origin story in probably like three or four times. Like, we have Disney Plus, and we have the access to the Marvel thing, and like every single movie, it's like an origin story for like five new characters, and so I end up watching it all. It's like, just a waste of my time, but it sucks me in, because I'm like, I wanna know who this person is, and like why they are the way they are, and I wanna know their purpose, and I wanna know what they're about, um, and I think that's actually why we love hearing about origin stories. We wanna know like who people are and what they're for. We wanna know their true grand purpose in the universe, and like why are they here? Um, and today we get to sit in Genesis one, which is whether we like it or not, our origin story. It is where we actually find from God why He created us, why humans are here. Um, and so I, I think when we come, we get to look at something that's actually like really, really beautiful. And hopefully, we learn two major things. I want us to understand who we are and what our purpose is. If, if we walk away knowing who we are and why we're here, that's going to be a great day we're gonna actually have some truth from God that we can tangibly walk into this world with and that'll actually change our lives and the world around us. So, we're looking at uh, chapter one, starting in verse 26, and this is after God has created the rest of creation, day six of creation, and the pinnacle of his creation is this. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, I want to pause there for a second. Did you notice the commission that God gave to humanity? It's a little surprising, because he says it twice. He says it before and after he created man. It's before and after the poem. He says that mankind is made to rule, to like reign as a king would. It's kind of a weird thing. I I don't know if you guys, like if you're a theology nerd, like Westminster catechism, like, like kind of defining, hey, what is going on in like the world around us? Why are we here? They say the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him completely. And we can say yes and amen to that all day long. That is totally true. We just need to know what it means to glorify God and to enjoy Him completely. Like, that, that's not an easy thing You just be like, oh, why don't I just do that tomorrow? I'll just glorify God. It's like, that has so few tangible tracks to run on. It's kind of confusing, actually. And it's surprising to me to look at Genesis 1 and see that the answer is, let us make man in our image so that they can glorify us and enjoy uh, me completely. He, He says, I will make them to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. It is in our designed nature from God that we would rule and reign on earth today. That's what we're here for. We are the image of God and we are designed to rule and to reign. That's who we are that's what we're for. Now, I want you to take a pause from this and just think in yourself, what's like the moment or a moment, there's probably several, where you've been like, man, I feel like I'm actually doing exactly what I'm designed for. I feel like right now is like the epitome of why I'm here. Maybe it was a day at work where you felt like your actual work was productive for once, and you're like, man, this is actually a joy. I actually love what I'm doing right now. Maybe you were serving your neighbors. Maybe you saw someone who needed help and so you helped them and you're like, man, this is actually deeply satisfying in my soul and what's happening is worthwhile. Maybe was like holding a newborn baby and you like look into their eyes and, you know, know, that's why I'm here right now. Like like this kid is going to be the thing that I invest the next 18 years of my life in to make sure that they grow and flourish. Each of those moments is, I think, biblically what God would call ruling and reigning in the earth. Those are truly worthwhile. uh, It might not feel like you're ruling with an iron fist like a king might, but you are. And so as we look to our origin story, we can see that now we're supposed to rule under rain that might be a little weird just looking at it kind of confusing like why rule and reign but I, I want to take this in light not just of what it means to us in atlanta in 2022 but to think back and notice that this book genesis wasn't initially written to us it's for us god did that but it's actually it was written to some hebrews that had just exited exi- uh exited egypt they'd been saved from slavery They'd been an enslaved for 400 years, generations of lives, serving the Pharaoh in his kingdom. And God pulls them out, and this is who Moses writes Genesis 1 to. So think for a moment, imagine you're in that position. You're a little Hebrew-Israelite boy or girl, and you're hearing, okay, who is God? Who am I? What's going on? And God says this, I've created you in my own image. I've created you in the image of God, and, he, and I've made you male and female. To us, image of God, it has a ton of theological meaning, and it's like powerful, like, wow, that's cool, like, I get to represent him to a world around us, like, amen. To them, they would have understood image of God in one context than in one context alone. There's only one person in the whole world who called themselves the image of God at that point to them, and it was Pharaoh the one who had full power and full dominion and had enslaved them for hundreds of years, this is the one who called himself the image of God. He's like, I'm the image of God to you. Don't you know that? That's why you obey me. It's why you follow. It's why you have no power. It's why I I do have power. Because I am God to you on this earth. So... God, when speaking to his people who've been enslaved and are now free, is speaking to them, he's calling them to who they're supposed to be, and he says this, You are the image of God. Not Pharaoh, but you are. All people have been created in the image of God. In a single moment, God takes the slave and he elevates him to this high position of king and queen. That's crazy. He's captivated an audience, and he's he's equalizing humanity, But he isn't saying you guys are all trash. He's not saying you're equal to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh sucks and you suck. He's saying, no, no, no. You guys are all equal. I've made you in my image. And that is glorious. And I'm giving dominion and rule and authority to you. That is the most scandalous thing that could have been said to a recently saved slave in uh, in ancient Egypt. That's outrageous. That's who you are. And to us, This is true for us today. We're actually designed for that purpose. We are made gloriously in God's image to bear his image around the world and to rule and reign underneath his authority. That's incredible. Now, I can hear someone, I don't know who it is, maybe that baby, saying, but Josh, (laughs) why would I care what a 3,500-old book has to say about my origins? Like, Like, why is this it? Like, what about... What about all the other religions? What about other philosophies? It's a good point, baby. Um, the, the reason that we look back to things like this and actually take information from them is because it changes the way we see the world in really drastic ways. And if this is truth from God, then it matters for our lives today. Now, I just want to compare and contrast for a moment. This isn't the only creation story that exists. So there might be other creation stories that you might be buying into even today. You might not even know it, but there are plenty. Um, Other common ones are like this, uh, Hindu ancient creation story. It's that the gods were at war, and out of war and chaos came the accidental humanity byproduct. And now it's like, oh, humanity's accidental, kind of a mistake. The purpose of them is uncertain, and so you can kind of pick and choose whatever god you wanna worship. There's 300 million, so pick one that you like mistake leads to, I'm not sure what my purpose is. But that isn't the only kind of creation story you might buy into. There's another one, and it's that we are created out of convenience for servitude. That's like Islam. They would say, hey, you've been made uh, by God who has no needs and no power, but he also doesn't love you. He's made you so that you can serve him and him alone, and you're to prove your worth by your obedience. And if you don't measure up, then you're out. Now, there's probably even a more popular one that people today tend to buy into, and it's the secular story. It's a story that there actually is no creation story, it's just natural, and that you have no purpose, therefore. Your job from now on is to do nothing and make life of what you want and try to create your own purpose. If you're trying to create your own purpose, in a world that's been told to you that there is no purpose, that leads to a painful life. It is by God's grace that he gives us a true origin story that leads to a true purpose. Because truthfully, in Genesis 1, we can see this. We weren't made by the product of war. It wasn't a mistake. It was intentional act of love. That's why we're here today. You were made intentionally out of love that you might rule and reign alongside a holy and perfect God. That is good news. Now, I know, I know that this origin story, you hear it, you're like, the creation story, I, I kind of like that, like, that makes sense for humanity, but, Josh, for me, like, you don't know what my home was like growing up. The creation story that I came into was of a war. It wasn't maybe a cosmic war, but it was a war at my house. My parents fighting, it was divided, it was broken. I feel more like a mistake than I do intentional. I feel more like a burden than a blessing. I've been told all my life that this could not be true for me. The stats here would say that well over 50% of the people sitting in this room come from either a divided home or an abusive home. And I, it like pains me to like even know that and like I've sat with A lot of college students, that's what I do. And I just heard their stories and like the pain and the turmoil and the conflict. And it's like, it's so hard to believe that you were made out of love when the house that you came in doesn't display that at all. You're told something else from the moment you were born. And I, I don't know the story between you and your home. I don't know the story with you and your mom or your dad. But I do know the one true story from the Bible in your heavenly father to you. This, this Genesis 1 thing isn't just like a moment in the blip of uh, the history of the Bible. It's shown all throughout Scripture that people look to this and they find hope from it. In Psalm 8, the psalmist says this, When I observe your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moons and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being? Who am I that you would remember me? Son of a man, when you look after him. Yet you made man little less than God." And you crowned him with glory and honor and you made him ruler over the works of your hands you put everything under his feet that's the god who created you that's your origin story but we're not done there's more if you look to psalm 139 there's this for the psalmist says this you created my inmost being you knit me together in my mother's womb and i will praise you because i've been made remarkably and wondrously in your image that's Psalm 139, guys. The Psalms aren't just like someone else making some comments about their life. That's probably true. It was written in a moment. But they're like for us to pray through and to meditate on and to understand. Like, this is actually for me. Like, when you read that, that's true and genuine. God created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I will praise you. Because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. If it wasn't clear, you matter to God. Your friends, they matter to God. Your neighbors matter to God. But don't ever believe that you don't. You matter to God. So, to recap where we're at, we see that God made humanity out of intentional love. He created, he designed us in his own image that we would actually rule over this creation. You know, it's like places Adam and Eve in the garden, says, hey, this is yours to cultivate and that it might flourish. This world, it's yours. I've entrusted it to you. And I think a fair question to ask is just a little oil check. So how are we doing? How's it been? God didn't have to give us authority over things, but I think we do need to kind of consider how is the world around us now that we see it's actually ours has been entrusted to us to care for? By my account there's always traffic on 85 and 75 and 20. Um, So that's bad, that's one knock. Also plenty of potholes, so that's stupid. Um, But on a far more serious note, there's like 40 million slaves in the world today. Not 200 years ago, today. There's more slaves today than there ever have been. About 700 million people today would be considered to be an abject poverty. That means they operate on less than $1.90 a day. Nature, the world around us as we look at it, tends towards corruption as opposed to cultivation. We're quicker to exploit than we are to care for, and I would say that no one could contest that there's massive division in our world where any about of power that humans can inflict on it exists. So whether it's, uh, there's division over finances, race, political, sexual, anything else that you can think of, there's probably a line drawn in the sand somewhere that separates man from his brother and his sister. It doesn't seem like the kind of rule that we've been entrusted has been used very well so far. There's plenty of moments where it's pretty easy to point out in the world at large that there's a lot of brokenness for us to contend with. So what actually went wrong? I think when you look at the Genesis creation story, you have to address the Genesis fall story, which is in Genesis 3. We see that Adam and Eve are tempted to eat of a tree, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this is this is the way that Satan puts it. It's really interesting. It says, in fact, if you eat of the tree, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I just think it's so weird that Satan tempts them with being like God when they're already made like God. Like, like they're already bearing his image. They already have his love. They're walking in the garden with them. Like, they're experiencing everything that God ever wanted for them. And now, one thought, like, oh man, just imagine if you knew one more thing. If you knew how to define what's right and wrong. If you only had just a little bit more authority in this world. It's worth it. Try it. Take it. And so, Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree. And they take their place, not as rulers under authority not as rulers underneath God, but they choose to take a place of authority above God. They're saying, I want to rewrite what is right and wrong. I even want to refine what the image of God means. I want to make it clear that I am more valuable than even you say I am. I want to make it clear that my enemies are less valuable than you say they are. And we see this spin out of control. I mean, it starts very small. All it takes is one person to say, I like money. I think I'll charge you a little bit more than I ought to. And I think I'll pay my worker a little bit less than he deserves. And I think that that's right. Because I have, it's my my enterprise, it's my business. I can do what I want. And then it spirals from just a low wage to an exploitation wage. And then it spirals from that to saying, no, I I think I'll just pay you nothing, but I'll give you room board. And uh, now I think I'm just going to control your life. Slavery isn't a new invention, it's an old one. It's really easy to get to when you stop seeing people as image bearers and God's holy purpose. It's really, really easy to demonize others and to idolize yourself. When we don't wanna humanize, we demonize and we idolize and we get into super broken moments where it's really clear that actually human power, we take it for granted and we abuse it very quickly. Guys, it's, it's gone everywhere in our society. And I think it's pretty clear that it's there in a societal level, but I do want to challenge us. What about on a personal level? What about in your heart or mine? Are you guilty of choosing to increase your own comfort, your own power, your own money, your own image at someone else's expense? You ever gossiped behind someone's back saying I'm more important than they are? You ever um, let a small amount of power get to your head? What's the smallest amount of power that you've seen get to anybody's head? For me, it was me and my brother sharing a sandwich, and one of us was given the knife to cut and make the half marker. It's, it's crazy. It's like so little power. It's like there's basically nothing going on there. But y- you know for sure that it's not about to be right down the middle. You know? <laughs> Then mom says, oh, no, 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 you cut, but you choose, and it's like, oh, dang it, you know, you get the small half. Horrible. Anyways, but, like, that was in me from the beginning, and that's, like, a really small version of it, but, like, other versions of me, like, protecting myself in my own ways was like, choosing to be ignorant about things that I could have learned about that would actually show me my own sin, you know, like, just, like, Defending my own privilege growing up. like I don't want to see what's going on in the world around me. I think I'll just scroll past a news article that challenges me. I don't really care. That's a really easy way to protect myself. It's a really easy way to defend my own integrity and say, oh, no, 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 I'm okay. Or maybe you see yourself doing that when you walk down the streets. You see someone who actually could use a hand and it's a little bit more exhausting than you might think, and so you just, "Ah, I'll move past. The small sins that degrade our brothers and sisters made in God's image expose our hearts. I know I'm guilty of that. C.S. Lewis says this. He talks about the people that we live around and just how magnificent humans actually are and how little we tend to understand that, and he says this, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you might be tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of these destinations. It's the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It's the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours is the life of a gnat. But it's immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I I think that actually puts into perspective just how valuable we all are. No one here, when they die, is going to be done with. You don't disappear and stop existing. You spend eternity with God in heaven, or you spend eternity in hell away from him. It's just if you choose to follow Jesus, do you actually want to submit your authority to his? Will he be your savior or not? I know I said earlier that for our origin stories, we need to look to Genesis 1 to see how God created us. That's totally true. It just isn't all of it. Like, we were born after all this book was written, so technically you kind of got to read the whole thing to get it. Um, But there's at least, like, the most important part of our origin story isn't the creation of the world, but it's the Son of God, Jesus Christ, entering the world. If you'd like, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. If not, it should be up on the screen. But I I just want to read about Jesus, the one who comes, the one who actually bears the true image of God. It says this in uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, He's the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I want to pause there for a second. Do you get that? When, when we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, when we sin today, we tarnish the image of God that we're supposed to represent to a watching world. We degrade it. By God's grace, he doesn't allow it to stay ruined. He saw the brokenness, he saw the hurt, he saw the pain, he saw the misuse of authority, he saw our, deci- our decisions to make truth what we say of it. And he decided to send his son, the true image, the one who has borne a perfect reflection to this world. The one who is sinless, the one who created all things, the one who made everything as it had to be, the one who has authority over all things, and he came to this world to reconcile everything to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now let's continue in verse 21. Paul says this Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Oh, that is so powerful. Paul sees the image of God created. He sees it tarnished, and he sees the true king. He sees the perfect representation of Jesus. He sees the image of God in the flesh, and he says, that's worth fighting for. That's a good purpose. That's what it looks like to rule and to reign. It's to submit to Jesus and to say, I need you not just as my image, but as my Savior and then to orient, orient and leverage your entire life for his cause and his purpose. To do everything in your human power, everything that's entrusted to you in your moment, whether it's your job, your workplace, the people you serve with, your kids, and say, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can that they might know Jesus, that they might know the king. So where do we go? How do we then do this, you know? How do we actually, like, like, transform our souls that are broken and wrong, I say, step one, know your Savior. I think a lot of, the the part of origin stories that they all get wrong in the movie, you know, they, like, they get to the moment where they're like, okay, this is is the crunch time. I've gone through all these trials, and I'm weak, and I'm down, but you know what? If I believe in myself a little bit more, then I'll be fine. Or if I just get my, Thor grabs his hammer, and now he's got full power. It's like, what? That that, that doesn't actually solve the problem. You can't just believe in yourself a little bit more and all of a sudden now you have the power to take on the world. That doesn't work. You don't need to believe in yourself more. You need to believe in your Savior more. You need someone to come and actually transform what you cannot. And so we need someone to re-correct the image that we've tarnished. We need someone to come into our soul, Jesus, who's hanging on the cross and we need to look to the cross and be transformed by him and in 1st John it says this that one day when Jesus returns we'll see him and in an instant we'll become like him in a moment and it says we'll become like him because we see him as he truly is today we can fight to see him more we need to turn to the cross daily that we might see our king who's risen and holy, and the more we dwell on him, the more we will look like him, the more we will bear his image accurately in the world around us, and the more we see him, and the more we know him, the more we'll actually know ourselves. So know him, but two, know yourself. Remember that, yes, while we are sinners, and while we're broken, we were first made in the image of God. I think something that I've missed a lot growing up was like, I hear a ton about my sin, and I hear stuff about the image of God, but I don't hear them together, and I'm like, my sin exists and is broken, but before that, I was his. Before my sin, he loved me. Before my sin, he made me glorious and pure, and my sin is broken, and he's come to restore. That's the king that we serve, so know yourself. You're made in his image. You are designed to rule, and when you see him, you'll know yourself even more. So lastly, Once we know ourselves, we know our king, we know ourselves, we know our purpose. We're here in this world to represent Jesus to people who don't know him. We're here to rule and reign in honor and in glory, but doing so in humility and gentleness as Jesus did. I think one thing that was really challenging to me is this question, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? When God entrusts all of this authority to little people like us, what are we supposed to do with that? That's so much. How can I bear that? How can I wield it well? I've seen so many people fail. Like I've seen so many people abuse authority. You hear about it every single day. You can't get through the news without seeing someone fail with too much authority behind their backs. So what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? Jesus chose to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus chose to spend time with the lame and the sick and the lowly. And then he healed them. In other words, when you're the most powerful person in the room, seek to lift others up. Are, Are we using our authority for ourselves and our selfish gain? Are we trying at our best expenses to actually give it to others that we might rely more on Jesus and trust that he's actually got us? but that we can truly support our friends, our neighbors, those who are in desperate need, and bring about a cultivated world that truly flourishes. There's a Garden of Eden that's coming again. We're gonna experience it. It's the new heavens and the new earth. There's a moment that we can look forward to when all things will be made right. But today, we're already living in the kingdom. We're already there. We're already kings and queens underneath the rule of Jesus. So go, be empowered, church. Love your neighbor. Serve, sacrifice, lift those up who desperately need help. And tell them of the name of Jesus by which, no, by which all men must be saved. There's no clearer challenge to us as rulers and as kings and queens. Look to Jesus. Let's pray.